if you would, grab your Bibles and turn over to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And we'll start in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 is where we'll be for a little while. Now, the hard part for this entire message for me is that every area that I have to go to, I feel like I got to read an entire chapter, all right? So I'm going to try not to do that just for the sake of time. We have the communion service afterwards. So I'm going to do some recapping, all right? So if you aren't familiar with the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is one of my favorite books. Uh, it's one of my favorites, not because it's written to me, all right? The name kind of tells you that, all right? It's written to the Hebrews, all right? And so that's not hard to figure out. That'd be the Jews, and uh, it's, it's a reference to them. Ultimately, as you read through the entirety of the book, it is that they had it good in the Old Testament. The Jews had it good, and they did. They had it good. Uh, they were the one, they were God's chosen people at that you know, that he's dealing with and he's personally dealing with them. And if you wanted it, if you were a Gentile, you had to go see them to get anything. All right. That's how it worked. Old Testament, right? You get to the New Testament and God makes sure that he understands that you and I get to understand that the Jew needs to understand it's better than it used to be. And so over and over again, you get a word throughout the book that says that something else is better than the last time. Uh, it is a constant comparison between Old Testament and New Testament, ultimately salvation and doctrine. Uh, and so the book really goes back and forth. It talks about those old sacrifices. It talks about the Old Testaments. It talks about the old promises. It talks about, and all of those have been replaced with something better. Ultimately, it's to let the Jew know that uh, really, the old stuff is set aside for right now. Now, I know the nation of Israel is still God's chosen people. He's not done with Israel. He's going to bring them back, and he's going to do all those. We know that. Millennium, he's going to bring the law right back in, and he's going to institute and get Sermon on the Mount. You do, we can rightly do I got it. Okay, all right. We know. We're on the same page. But right here through the book, Paul is, I believe the Apostle Paul is writing it, and I believe he is writing to the Jews to, to let them know there's something better happening. There's something better. And too many times people are trapped in their old way of thinking and they won't come out of it. And as you look through uh, chapter 7, there's a lot of references to the sacrifices and the old law and the old things and the commandments that were there. And so I want to pick up in, in verse number, uh, boy, so hard. Uh, verse number 19, we'll pick it up there, all right? And he says this, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest, talking of Jesus, uh, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests 
but they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I'll keep reading. Uh, for such an became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Uh, I mean, this whole, I could read this whole book tonight, all right, to get all this stuff in here, but we, you know, I won't for the moment. You, I hope you've read it before, uh, but I, if you haven't, you should. And he makes reference here in verse uh, number 22 that Jesus was made a surety of a better testament. And he's referencing the difference between the, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's making these delineations. Now, a testament is a solemn, authentic instrument in writing by which a person declares his will as to the, the disposal of his estate and effects after his death. This is otherwise called a will. A testament to be valid must be made when the testator is of sound mind. It must be subscribed, witnessed, and published in such manner as the law prescribes. How about that? So what do you think? Uh, the Lord was in perfectly sound mind when he had it written so that you and I could be assured of what he wants done with his estate, with the affairs of his life, with the affairs of what you and I have been given. We have a better testament. And overall, he says... Uh, Another spot, uh, another definition for a testament. The name of each general division of the books of the sacred scriptures as the Old Testament, the New Testament, the name is equivalent in, to covenant. And it is our use of it. Uh, we apply it to the books which contain the old and new dispensations, that of Moses and that of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, ultimately Moses is given the law and it's handed to him and you can get, I mean, there's all the ordinances and the sacrifices and all the things, right? Read Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You'll get a whole list of everything you got to do. Uh, but we break it down right to the Ten Commandments. We go, all right, these ten things, right? And you must keep them in order to be considered holy. In order for you to have the relationship with God, you had to keep the ten. And if you did not, you had to bring a sacrifice and since they didn't, they always had to bring a sacrifice and there was a sacrifice and the priest had to make a sacrifice for himself so that he was clean so that he could make a sacrifice for somebody else who was also unclean so that they could get clean. And that sounds like an annoying testament. That's what that sounds like, right? I mean, this is, this is rough. Nobody keeps the Old Testament law. They can't. Uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't have that. The ability for us to keep the law and be able to take care of our own selves and be able to go ahead and do those things, it just isn't possible. You and I, if you're in here and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you and I uh, were made a new creature. 
He did spiritual circumcision. He cut the flesh away. He uh, goes ahead and lets you know that you're not supposed to let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. He put the Holy Spirit inside of you to lead and guide you into all truth and go ahead and make sure you can take care of everything. He said that you were more than conquerors through him that loved you. And, and we still mess it up. let alone just some regular guy before they ever got saved and they haven't, and all they're doing is just living a life. They can't hold up to any of this stuff. And so that Old Testament, that old follow the law and everything will be all right, uh, just doesn't quite work as well. And so the Lord says, hey, you know what I gave you? I gave you a better testament. The testament that Jesus Christ introduced is ultimately salvation by grace through faith in Him. Say, so why are you preaching this? For one, I'm going to have fun. And for two, we're about to have the communion service. It's a memorial. It's a memorial of the day when God enacted a testament. The New Testament in His blood. And he reminds us in Hebrews that it's better than anything that's ever been. All the old stuff, not as good. It was good. It did what it needed to do. It was good. But you know what it couldn't do? It couldn't do certain things that you and I have absolute access to. It is so much better for us. So ultimately, I'm just going to preach on we have it better. We have it better. So I'm going to have fun tonight just talking about how great it is to have Jesus Christ be my sacrifice. To have a New Testament in His blood as opposed to that old one where I couldn't keep it and I couldn't handle it and there was no way that my sins could ever be fully washed away and cleansed. And so let's have a word of prayer. I'm going to preach on that better testament tonight. Lord, I do thank You for Your goodness. Oh, You are so good to us. I'm grateful to know that there is a God in heaven who loved me enough to give his son to pay the debt of all of my sins when I know I am so unworthy of it. And Father, I do pray that you would be with us tonight as we look at the word of God, as we read through the pages, as we, Father, look at what you have to say about the matter. I do pray that you'd help me to say what I ought to say and nothing more. Lord, that Jesus Christ would be praised tonight. I really want to I really want to do justice to the price and the benefits of how great it is to have Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so, Lord, I do pray this would be a great encouragement tonight. And we pray you'd get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn back one chapter over to, or I'm sorry, uh, ahead one chapter to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Once again, we could read the whole chapter uh, these chapters just, they, they run, the whole, the whole topic gets covered throughout a chapter at a time. And I'm going to try not to do that, but we're going to read, I mean, you're talking about the sacrifices here. He's talking about, uh, of course, right at the beginning, how the priests were doing the service of God. And the second, into the second went the high priest alone, right? And every year, and he's making the offering, and he says in verse number 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled, sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of, a te of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to the people, uh, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was ne therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." You and I have a much better sacrifice. That testament, that declaration that he gave had to be him giving a sacrifice and laying down his life, a ransom for many. Him laying it down and not taking it back up. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not the blood of bulls and goats because those could never take away sin. And instead, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, reminds us in Peter that we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And Jesus Christ goes ahead and is sacrificed, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities so that you and I could have a sacrifice that was good enough not just to cover the sin, not just to remit the sin, but completely remove and wash you of every stain of sin that you've ever had. You get back there in Leviticus chapter 4, they're bringing in that sin offering. I was talking about that, right? And the priest, he goes ahead and he makes an offering for himself. And he's got to go ahead and get an offering for the people. And then he goes ahead and he gets to go in. And the high priest goes in to go ahead and make a, nation, a national one. And all he's got, and they're bringing lamb after lamb after lamb. And if they can't afford a lamb, they got to bring the turtle doves. And if they, and they got to do it over and over and over and over. Jesus Christ says, I got a better idea. <laughs> I mean, how about I just do this one time? Could you imagine if you had to go ahead and sacrifice over and over and over and over? 
We go ahead and, and we're looking at we're looking at the sacrifice and we're remembering the sacrifice. And tonight, you say we don't do this communion thing very often. There are some churches, some religions, but even some Baptist churches, they do it every week. That's weird to me. <laughs> you say, why is that weird? I don't need that every week. Not like that. So, he wants you to remember him. Right? It's supposed to be a momentous occasion when we do this. It's supposed to be something that we remember, hey, there was a great sacrifice and it didn't happen every week. We didn't have to do that every day. We didn't have to go ahead and walk back into the holy place. We didn't have to walk out there by that, by that brazen altar and slit the throat and go ahead and drain the blood and put it in the pans and put the, and put the blood on the horns and go ahead. And... We don't need that. Instead, we're remembering, hey, guess what? Yeah, we're remembering a sacrifice, but we're remembering it because He was so good to us and everything's so much better for us. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereon too perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? If you make everybody perfect, you don't have to make another offering. Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats, it couldn't do it. It wasn't clean enough. It wasn't pure enough. It wasn't something that could actually handle the actual cleansing of what they have. It was something God gave them because they needed to cover the sin. They needed something that would remit it and just take it off for the moment. But the truth is, it was still there. Brother Thren was talking about blotting. It doesn't eliminate, it just covers it. Just covers it up. And that blood, you know what it would do? It would just, the blood of bulls and goats, just cover it up so they didn't have to worry about it. Just cover it up, just cover it up, just cover it up. But Jesus Christ didn't come to cover anything. Jesus Christ came, he said, I'll just pick the cover up. Boy, that's awful dirty, I'll just clean it. Jesus Christ is the only one who's ever been able to wash a man of his sins. Isn't that amazing? All through the Gospels, Jesus would stand there and they would, they would want him to do something amazing and he'd just be like, well, thy sins be forgiven thee. And those Pharisees would go nuts. What is he doing? Who does he think he is? Who can forgive sins but God only? He says, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's who you're talking to. Yeah, so you're talking to. I can forgive. Why? Because I'm God, so I can forgive it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's going, hey, you don't need anybody else. You need me. And what they don't understand is that he's about to give his life to make sure that anybody, whosoever will, let him come, take a drink of the water of life freely. He's about to make it so that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. He, he's going to go ahead and let us know that because of the blood, we get the forgiveness of sins. Why? Your sacrifice is better. 
Your sacrifice is better because it's a permanent sacrifice once forever. Once forever. I mean, you could keep reading all through chapter 10. You'll get more of the same. You know what it is? It's a sacrifice that you and I, we don't have to go, boy, did, did, did they drain all the blood right? Did, they put, did, they get, did the priest get everything right for me? Did I miss a spot on that lamb? Did I do everything? He says, you don't have to worry about doing anything. I did everything. I'm the sacrifice. He doeth all things well. He's never messed a thing up in his life. He certainly didn't mess it up in his death. And he definitely didn't do it when he rose from the dead three days later. He got everything just right. And the pure sacrifice of the Lamb of God is the only sacrifice we'll ever need. We got a better sacrifice. Look over at Hebrews chapter 8. I better, I better get going. That's what I got to do. I'm too excited. Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Let's sum it up. All right. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Whew. You say, what do we got? We got better promises than they've got. The nation of Israel got great promises and their eternal promises. Realize that he made an everlasting covenant with the nation of Israel. They have an everlasting covenant. You realize your everlasting covenant's a whole lot better? Hear me out now. You got salvation in the New Testament versus salvation in the Old Testament. You know what you have? You know what the problem is? In the Old Testament, you have David. And David's there. And he sins with Bathsheba. And he takes her. And he goes ahead. And he does what he does. Ultimately has Uriah killed so that he can keep her and keep, the, keep everything covered up as best as he can. And instead, Nathan the prophet comes in, right? And in he walks and up he comes to David and he starts telling him this terrible story, right? This man stole this guy's one little lamb. and David looks at him and four sheep for a sheep, right? Pronounces the judgment and Nathan sticks his finger in his face and says, Thou art the man. And David goes, woof. I'm caught. <laughs> Got me. And that's where we get one of the best psalms you and I have, Psalm 51. When David is repenting before the Lord. And one of the statements he makes is, Take not thine Holy Spirit 
from me. His predecessor as king, Saul, he lost it. The Lord removed his spirit from him. Instead, he puts it upon David to be king. You know what David was afraid of? Please don't let my sin remove your spirit from me. 1 Kings chapter 8, you have Solomon making a great prayer and he says that he doesn't want the Lord to leave him nor forsake him. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? That little phrase right there. In Psalms 27, verses 7 to 9, not having you turn, just for sake of time. Feel free, write it down, you can check me. I believe it's a Psalm of David. And he writes that same phrase, that you wouldn't leave me or forsake me. In his hour of need, he's going, Lord, don't leave me and don't forsake me. You know what amazing promises we have? Hebrews chapter 13, you find it. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Old Testament, they're going, don't leave me. Don't go away. Don't walk off on me. I know I messed up. You're going to go. Please don't. In the New Testament, he says, there's nothing you can do for me to leave. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says in Matthew chapter 28, right? Go ye into all the world and preach the God. Right? We're, there we are. Teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I am with you always. There's never a time he's not there. You know what you got? That old, those Old Testament saints, you know what they were worried about? The Holy Spirit leaving and coming and leaving and coming. Over here, you know what we say? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And God put a seal on you and he says, nobody can break that. That's the king's. Only one who can take care of that would be the king. And when he breaks that thing open, you're going to glory. And this old flesh will be falling away and you won't have to worry about a thing then either. The promises that you and I have are so much better. The eternal promises. Their everlasting covenant was to a nation who will inherit some land on the face of this earth and God will dwell with them and walk with them. But you and I have an eternal, everlasting, perfect covenant with God Almighty who has promised that you and I will be His children forever. You shall be my sons and daughters. That's who we are. You receive the adoption of sons. There's no question. Over there, you know what they had? They had obey me, obey me, obey me, and if you don't obey me, I can walk away. Mm-hmm. Talked about it this morning. You can, have, you can have blessing if you do this and you stay with me and you're my, I'm your God and we have it, and then you get over here, and if you don't, you're cursed. <laughs> and here's the curses. You and I, you know what we have? We have eternal life that we can't mess up. You talk You talk about an eternal promise. If we could mess it up, man. He says, I got to make this stupid proof. That's what I got to do. Guys, I got to make this stupid proof. If I make this stupid proof, right? I used to work at Tessie Plastics. And uh, Dave, I don't know if they still have all those guards around all those presses. They probably do because it's all legal stuff. And... There are these, you know, you've got the machines and the presses and they're making these plastic parts, you know. And some of them, I mean, they're making tons of parts at a time. They've got these robots that come in. They're all automated. 
they program them, you know, and they reach down, they grab the part, they put them on a conveyor belt. They're moving, and they're moving fast. They go, and they go until they make their point that they're supposed to get. They don't care what's in the way. They don't care. And we had to put, a bunch of us were putting up guarding. I remember this is years ago now, but we're putting up guarding, and we're, pu- we're putting those things up, and we're doing these things, and they all have safety doors. You know, if you open the door, boom, all the machinery stops in that area. Whatever you are opening up, boom, it automatically e-stops. Now, everybody hates that because that messes up everything, right? Well, somebody in the middle of the night, I think it was the middle of the night, might have been second shift, but it's probably second shift. You know those people. Um, Anyways, just kidding. Uh, He decides it'd be a good idea. There's a little part that keeps messing up on that that middle conveyor belt. There's three presses that were all moving all to the middle. Three robots all come in, shoo, dropping stuff all around. He decides that it would be a great idea to go under the guarding door, army crawl in there, and pop his head up so that he could grab that part out of there. And when he did, he got smacked by a robot hard in the head. Say, so what did he do? We found out later. We had to stupid proof everything. All he has to do is go, hey, can you shut these down for two minutes? Go in, clean up what you have to, step back out, they'll fire them up. They would love that way more than the hours of downtime to go ahead and take care of this dude. But he didn't want that. You say, what did he want? He wanted to get around the guarding. He wanted out of the protections that were all there. You know what happened? He got walloped for it. And I don't know all of what happened to him. I, I, I didn't even know who he was. Uh, I just knew about it. And, you know, you know, we ended up doing They ended up changing out the guard and making it even harder for somebody to do that. You say, why? Because they had to make it stupid proof. Because <laughs> that's kind of dumb to go in there. I mean, you say, that's terrible. That's pretty dumb to go in there. That's a lot of moving parts, and they don't care about you. <laughs> you know what? God looked at you, and he said... Well, if I'm going to save them forever, (laughs) they're going to try to figure out a way around the guarding and they're going to really mess this thing up, man. And so, you know what I better do? I better make it stupid proof and seal this thing up so that they can't ever mess this thing up. Because if we could mess it up, I guarantee you, we'd be real good at it. And praise the Lord. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll save that man forever. And he'll never lose it. That's a way better promise than they had in the Old Testament. Completely unconditional. You trust me, I'll save you forever. You trust my sacrifice, I'll give you a better sacrifice. And then when you trust that sacrifice, I'll give you a better promise. I'll save you forever. And there's nothing you'll ever do to mess that thing up. I already read the verse, so we'll read only one verse for this one. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. So what's he going to talk about with this better hope? By the which we draw nigh unto God. 
Say, what's this better hope? Now, I know we can reference all the way back and we can talk about that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ and the day He's going to come back and He's going to take us home, but I'm not going there. Old Testament law, there was this, I'm the people, that guy's the priest, and that guy has to do everything for me. In relation to me and God, if I don't have the priest and the high priest making my sacrifices, I can't get to God. I'm not near Him. I'm removed from Him. And instead of that idea, the children of Israel in Exodus, right? They get to the bottom, they're at Mount Sinai, they're standing there, and their answer is, Moses, you go talk to him. We don't want to talk to him. Their statement is, if he talks to us, we're going to die. You, Moses, you go talk to him. You know what they didn't want? They didn't want a closeness. Because they understood one thing. God is a God of judgment. And they're looking up at that mount as an all-consuming fire up there and lightnings and thunderings and all the things. And they went, I'm scared of that. I don't want to go up there. And they're afraid. And they should be. I, I don't hold that against them. They ought to be afraid. But they're going, don't let God talk to us. <laughs> Moses, you go handle it. Could you imagine if that was your relationship with God? Ooh. That's not the relationship he designed when he gave a better testament. In a better testament, he gave a better hope. You say, what was the hope? That you could come boldly onto a throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's that you can walk right into the throne room. You don't need the priest. You don't need the pastor. You don't need whoever it is. You don't need anybody else. You walk right into the room and you go to your father and you say, God, I love you. I don't know what to do with this. You walk in with all your broken pieces and you go, I broke it. Can you fix it? And he goes, yeah. Your eye is hilarious. There's a, there's a spot on the floor at the bottom of the stairs at the house. It's, it was cracked. Flooring was cracked. Brother Bacon knew about it. And so I fixed it. And it's been, I don't know, eight months since I fixed it, right? I got the board. Uriah will still walk over. And it's right at the bottom of the stairs. It's on the one side. It's just, you know. And he'll walk over and he'll step on it. He'll go, Dad, fix? And I was like, yeah, buddy, I fixed it. It's only been like a year, but okay, yeah, I fixed it, right? And you walk up to the Lord, you know what you can do? Lord, I need you to fix it because I, I broke it again. And he goes, we can fix it. We can fix it. You and I have a such better hope. It's not, God, you're way up there and I can't get anywhere near you and there's no way that I can get close to you and there's no way you care about me. Instead, you go, no. You're my son. He goes, no, come on up here. We'll take care of this. What do we got to fix? What's wrong? He's a loving father as opposed to this dictator upon a, upon a mountain. And so he says, hey, you know what you can do? You can come boldly and you can ask me anything you need. You say, well, he doesn't always say yes. You heard a song about that on Friday. And if you missed it, I'm sorry. 
I feel bad for you. Because the Lord sometimes just needs to flat out tell you no, just like you would with your kid. It's not going to be good. And he tells you no. You say, yeah, but, but that doesn't mean you don't get to come to him again. And you still get to come, and he still loves you, and he still brings you in. And, you know, he looked at the nation of Israel, and as Jesus looks over the nation of Israel, and he says, how often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. And sometimes I wonder if the Christian doesn't remember, we've got a better hope. And he goes, I want to gather you in, and, and they won't come in. They, they won't approach to him. But boy, it's available. Prayer is the highest privilege a Christian has that is used, utilized probably the least. We've got a better hope because we have a God of hope. And when everything looks terrible in this life, everything looks awful, nothing looks good, it looks like everything's failing, you know what we can do? We can call on our better hope and say, God, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just, I'm looking at you. What do we got? What do we do? Because you know what he does? He takes the hopeless and makes it hopeful. He takes the complete disaster and goes ahead and pulls it through and just says, don't worry, everything's fine. That's what he does. All right, I'm going to finish up. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We can do a whole lot of other ones. There's a bunch of them in Hebrews, just so you know. There's more than this. I just grabbed four of them. Verse number 11. Or I'm sorry, verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Now, I don't know about you, but there's two passages that I immediately think of. John chapter 14 and Revelation chapter 21. What's John chapter 14? I go to prepare a place for you. What's Revelation chapter 21? I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. <laughs> Say, what's he doing? You know what he is? He's giving you a better country. The nation of Israel is going to have the best of the best. You heard about it all of last week, practically. The children of Israel are coming into the promised land, and what are they going to do? They're coming into a land flowing with milk and honey and all the greatness of what it is and the fullness of the land and they're going to take it and it's going to be theirs and they're going to have all these things and it's going to be great. But you can't tell me that's better than a place prepared by God for all of eternity. Eternal in the heavens? Nowhere near. Now I know in the new, in, in the new heavens and the new earth and the first heaven and the first earth are passed away and they're going to get, they're going to get their country. They're going to get it. But you know what you and I get? 
We get the Lamb as the light inside of our city for all of eternity. We get the holy abode of the holy God of the universe. We get the city that is the New Jerusalem. It's the place where God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. It's the place where you're going to get a body fashioned like unto His glorious body. It's the place where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more destruction, no more devil, no more anything. It's the place where you and I don't have to fight the flesh constantly every day, all day, trying to keep it down and tell it to die already. It's the place where you and I won't have any thought that's ever wrong. Imagine that. How do you get to where you don't have any, anything wrong pop into your brain? I'll tell you, there's only one place. There's only one place where your mind is fully fixed upon God and what He wants. And you know what? We're going. We're going. There's going to be a better resurrection. I didn't cover that. That's the end of the chapter right here. Of whom the world was not worthy. And here they are. And you know what? You and I, we're going to get this resurrection. And He's going to take us up. And you and I are going to spend eternity in a place that is the only pure place we've ever been. We're going to finally be pure. And we've never been pure like that before. There's always some dirt hanging around. There's always some other fight we're in the middle of. God says, I'm going to take care of all the battles. We're going to go ahead and we're going to get there and all that pain and all the suffering and all the heartaches and all the things and the disappointments you've had will all be gone away and will all be wiped away in those tears and He'll wipe it all off when He wipes those tears away. And you and I will remember those things no more. He's going to clean it all out and make it so that everybody will know everything like He knows it. And we're in Hebrews chapter 11. You know how he remembers. He only seems to remember the good and none of the bad. He's so unbelievably good to us. You think about what he remembers of you. I mean, this passage right here, you've got Sarah, you know, they're unwavering. Her and, her and Abram, right? They, they, Sarah and Abraham, I mean, they're not wavering at the promises and they're... We go back to Genesis. We all know they laughed. We all know, we all know why he's named Isaac. Like, come on. And the Lord's like, yeah, none of that happened. I don't remember that. Like, it's in your book. He says, yeah, I just don't remember that right now. I chose to forget all about that little failure right there on their part. You know what he's doing with you? You're going to get all the way in there and you know what you're going to think? Boy, I don't remember doing anything wrong ever. Now, I know I did, but boy, I just can't remember any of it. Why? Because all that stuff would defile you. And God says, I'm not going to let anything that defileth enter in. Only pure place you'll ever be. And you know what he's done? He's prepared it for you. And he's working on it. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I could ask the Legos maybe in the Walter and Karen if you build something for 2,000 years, <laughs> you're welcome. I kind of slid that in. Apologize. It's going to be amazing. 2,000 years of the God of the universe, the master architect, who made, a, we're looking at the fallen version of the greatness of what he can design. 
and he's going ahead and he's building and making your home for all of eternity. You can't tell me that's not better. 2,000 years for him to put every stone in place. 2,000 years to make sure it's all finished just the way he wants it. 2,000 years before he goes, okay, it's ready. Let's go get my bride. Say, when's that coming? Real soon. Real soon. And you know what? We've got it better. We got it better because we got a better sacrifice than anybody else ever has. It's because of his sacrifice that you and I have a better testament. And that better testament, that better testament is the only reason you and I get to have all the blessings and the benefits of what we get. Say, who made it better? The Lord made it better. He made it better. You and I just get in on it. If you're not saved in here tonight, there's zero reason for you to not get saved. This is the easiest time to gain eternal life ever. It is simple faith and trust in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And if you are saved in here tonight, I hope you're excited about the fact that one day, even if it doesn't feel like everything's better right now, everything's going to be all better because of how great of a testament He gave us. Let's go ahead and stand. I could, I could keep going for forever, I feel like. We got it. We got it made in the shade. It is wonderful. Anybody who says that it's not great to be a Christian, they don't know what they're talking about. In a moment, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper. Maybe you just need to come and, and I'm going to talk about the passage still and we're going to read through. And, but that place says to examine himself. Let a man examine himself. And maybe you just need to take a moment and examine tonight before we go ahead and do that. Make sure everything's all clean. I hope you did that before you came. But maybe you just want to come down and say, thank you, Lord, for making it so good to me. Thanksgiving unto God is one of the greatest ways you can praise him and glorify him. I hope you do that. I hope you're grateful tonight for how much better you have it than anybody else has ever had it. Lord, I pray you would bless the invitation now. Be with the communion service to follow that everything would be done to the praise, the honor, and the glory of Jesus Christ. We love you. We pray you would come back soon. I'd love to see that place, that pure place. Father, even tonight, but Lord, if you tarry, I pray you'd help us to dwell on how great you are and remember, remember what great things you've done for us and the sacrifice you made in Jesus' name. Amen.